Welcome to this Law & Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law & Sport. I'm here in Denver with uh, one of the, I would say, most experienced and uh, wise heads uh, uh, at the annual Sports Lawyers Association conference. Uh, I'm here with Bobby Hacker, a former VP uh, Business and Legal Affairs of Fox Sports. Correct. Um, before we go, I would love to talk about you've got such an interesting history. But you, yesterday, or the day before yesterday, you were chairing, or so you were on a panel talking about media rights. And given you were at Fox for 18 years, I believe. Is Correct. That, is, yes. that, is that right? Yes. Um, I really just wanted to, particularly after the discussion yesterday, what you, what your thoughts are on the sports media rights market at the moment, and what sort of trend you're seeing, and what you think the sort of the key issues are at the at the moment. Well, I think really what it comes down to, the biggest issue today is not so much content itself, but how you get it, how it's going to be delivered. The panel I moderated the other day, we were really talking about new distribution platforms and what's happening. Because there's been a huge move over, you know, from my career, which started at Fox Sports in 98 until I left in 2016. It went from a strictly over-the-air property to the birth of cable, really, uh, and the so development. So for, for, for those, for us, it would be satellite. Oh. It'd be that sort of yeah. Well, you know, yeah, the, satellite, and then cable in the US is slightly different to what we have. We've now got it in the UK, but we were slow, I think, on that. Yeah, it's a, you know, if you deliver via broadband, which is what the cable is, you have a more stable pipeline for delivering content, better image, and given that so much is being, so much content is being delivered on a digital basis the broadband methodology just seems to work better and you get a better, more stable signal, less of the buffering with that little wheel of death on your computer <laughs> screen as you wait for it to come back. So when you're... When it's you're, led many people to breakdowns. <laughs> it, it has. There's, there's nothing worse than when you're sitting there and for someone like me who's a lifelong rugby player and rugby fan and trying to find the content and you're watching it on some unstable website and you know you see the guy lining up and he's you know he's going to kick going to kick for gold to see if it changes the game and then all of a sudden the wheel of death appears on your screen at which point you decide am I going to be angry or am I going to break my laptop it's it's one of the big problems but it's truly what's happening is and anything in in the sports business particularly and in business in general, you have pendulum swings. Mm. So what's happened is you had a traditional model of over the air, and then you had distribution through whether it was satellite or you know, cable broadband transmissions. And now you're at a point where, since everybody seems to live in a digital universe, and a truly digital universe, because the phones we all carry in our pockets are more powerful than the computers I had on my desk when I started at Fox in 1998. That's incredible. And so you can see anything on any platform, and the issue now becomes for us, how can we make sure to make it available? And that gets to the topic of the subject that's known as TV Everywhere, which basically says more than 90% of of us, certainly in America, pay to receive our signal, because we're through a satellite company or a broadband company. And once I pay for that, I shouldn't be limited to watching it on that television that sits on the wall in my living room. If they can authenticate me as the person and with my unique identifying credentials, 
I should be able to watch it on my phone, on my laptop, on my tablet, wherever. So that's sort of the first stage of the transition and how you're getting content. But what happened is, is that you were always part of a package. If you were over the air, it didn't really matter. You weren't paying for it. You just click, click, click. But as you start paying for your content um, to get you in the door, uh, the companies, the satellite and cable companies, bundled everything together. So you'd buy these packages, and you'd end up with 200 channels, and you watched eight. And even two years ago, people said, they'll never be a la carte. It just won't work. People won't do it. But in fact, as you've seen the cord cutting and the cord shaving and the cord nevers, Millennials in particular, but even people of my advanced age are you know, not using that. and They're using Apple TV or Roku and getting a more discreet selection of programming. And very recently, you've found that ESPN, for example, has created a brand new offering of just ESPN channels that you can get over the top. OTT is the newest content, which is a straight digital signal. Now, five years ago, had you said to me, oh, and you get it over the internet, I would say, oh, life with the wheel of death, I won't be able to see anything, (laughs) everything's going to buffer constantly, it'll be horrible. But with the advent of things like Chromecast and other technology, I can take that digital content off my phone, off my computer, off my laptop, HDMI cable, into my big screen TV, and I can watch it. And the signal is just as good as what I would get over the air or through my cable company or through my satellite provider. And so what's happening is, and what we talked about a lot is, we have the ability to distribute the content over the top through your digital devices. The question is, if if you have the rights to broadcast that particular sport, you have to make sure that you have the ability to deliver the content that way because the leagues in this country, Major League Baseball, the National Football League, National Hockey League, so on and so forth, the NBA, they are going to squeeze every penny that they can get out of their content. Robust, rich, thousands of hours per year, legacy content, and you'd like to come in as a broadcaster and say, I'll take all the rights. Yeah. Which makes life really easy because then you control how you distribute it and you can, you know, Send the the product out in various ways. The leagues, of course, say, well, if I can get a billion dollars just for the TV rights, I can get other money for the telephone rights, I can get other money for this and that. And, again, my pendulum has swung. So 20 years ago, you got over-the-air rights and the ability to sell those rights to a, a cable company that was taking your entire network. Now what's happened is you've sort of seen this other technology and you say, wait, if I have the ability to sell it to a satellite or cable company for retransmission, mm-hmm. um, then I want all those people at those companies to be able to take that signal and watch it wherever. Yeah. And it took a while because the first leagues were, no, you only have over-the-air rights and what those the cable, you can't have TV everywhere. Now you've got TV everywhere is ubiquitous people want to be able to watch it on whatever device. I'm paying for the content. I should be able to watch it wherever. The next generation will be what's called couch rights, which means I live in Los Angeles, and I get to see the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball club play in my home market. But I'm paying for that signal. I can still get that digital signal anywhere in the world, 
why can't I watch yeah, a, a baseball game in New York? Yeah. Because the leagues prevent it. Because they're trying to protect the home markets. Yeah. Um, which, you know, will we get to those couch rights? I think so. I think there'll be the demand for it as you, and do you think give the consumer more and more control. They'll want more and more and, control. And do you think as well that just commercially it makes more, it might, it, in the end it will make more sense because the delivery is better. They will just make, because they can carve up and sell up those rights. That How they carve up the rights will, will, uh, will be structured differently. So it'll be more team specific maybe rather than, uh, um, as you said, whether it's just the... Like, yeah. So uh, you're exactly right. The first level is that you have a lot of local rights. So in this country, you've got uh, basketball, hockey, baseball, all have, you know, 30-odd teams. And like yeah. baseball plays, each team plays 162 games. And the other sports, they're playing 80 games a year before you ever get to playoffs yeah. and so on and so forth. And it becomes this very robust universe in which you live with content. And only in the last year have those leagues, the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball granted the local market rights to stream the product. So we're way down the road on the ability yeah. to stream, but it's only in the last year that, that they finally let it go, yet all of that content is geo-blocked. Now, in baseball, for you'd say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why can't I have those couch rights? Yeah. Because Major League Baseball has a product where you can buy it, pay them a, a subscription fee, yeah. and get to see every baseball game. So they want to control that national distribution still. And when they finally agreed to a streaming product, it's only streaming within the, the controlled market of that local home team. And so, do you think, one of the things that's always discussed briefly on the platform or on the panel yesterday, which was always a really interesting one, and one that's constantly ongoing, is what the role of these social networks are going to be in the sort of delivery of it. Are they partners or are they a threat to, to, to broadcasters? In your experience, where do you? Because uh, we chaired a panel session, we had a panel session in, in London, and uh, the kind of view was from some of the people there, there was a representative formerly of Twitter and some from the ISM form. And across the panel, the general consensus was that there was more of a, a partnership relationship as opposed to there's a, there's, there's, um, uh, there's, there could be more of a partnership and that you can sell all those rights in addition. So if you acquire those rights, you can sell them onto the social networks. Well, I was speaking to some of the people here after the panel discussion and their view and it was why would the social networks not want to become broadcasters in themselves and acquire all the rights? Well I'm, I would I would disagree. In the first place social media as the word one of my panelists used was it's additive. So we've gone from second screen experience which is being able to watch a game and then go on your device and look up stats or look up something else about what's going on while the game's going on. The extension is social media, where you engage the audience, and somebody watching a game can be seeing what other people have to say. You'd be surprised by the number of American sports executives who, while games are live on, they're watching a Twitter feed to see what John Q. Public has to say <laughs> yeah, about yeah. what's going on in the game. Yeah. Um, I think it has a place. I've argued for years that anything you can do to engage your audience on whatever level has value. And the additive experience, I think, eventually gets to a place where if you have enough social media interaction during the course of a game, those social media outlets, while not showing the game, 
provide another experience for the game, and they can therefore, without violating anybody's copyright because they're not showing content, they're just allowing people an opportunity to talk. But what about with um, things I'm thinking more, I guess it's not a social network, but like Amazon, for example, the Twitter deals oh. with NFL, when they actually got live streaming rights? Well, you're going to see, sit back and wait, 2021, 2022, all the major sports rights deals in America come up. And if anybody believes that the Amazons, Googles, Facebooks, Twitters, Snapchats, etc., are not going to be players, they're out of their minds. If you look at the what Amazon has done, uh, Amazon does a lot more than deliver stuff to your home. Amazon Studios won an Academy Award for the best film last year. Oh wow! Okay, Moonlighting was an Amazon Studios production. Yeah. So. And then you look at their bottom line and you go, wow. And then you look at Apple and you say, it's the most valuable company in the world. Yeah, yeah. And they have, if you're a device manufacturer and you have the ability to connect with people and then you can give them content that they really want to see and you can control that, that gets into a lot of other questions yeah, potentially. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. you start like the antitrust where yeah, exactly, maybe jumps out at you. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I think there's a sensitivity to that. But there's no other... I mean, if you have the major, the four major sports networks and the couple of major cable networks here in this country traditionally buying these sports rights, it doesn't mean they're the only player in town because at the end of the day, you know... Well, we saw it in the UK. We saw it in the UK with BT Sport. We had, so BT, we had Sky, then BT set up BT Sport. And that was the whole point. You know, they were like, right, okay, we want to go into the sports market. Because of the bundling, as you were referring to earlier, we want to have that package that's attractive to people to bring them to our, our TV channels. So I, I agree. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and, and, it, and as we started talking earlier, as the technology advances, and it advances at an alarmingly quick rate. Absolutely. So you can't say, you know, you could never watch a game if it was delivered over the internet. Well, of course you can, because you do. And when you think, no, I don't, I get a satellite signal. What do you think that is? Yeah, exactly. It's internet protocol. It just is delivered in a different way. So you've got these companies that have the ability to afford to pay these ridiculously ever-increasing rights fees. So why wouldn't they get in the yeah, market? Yeah. Because you can drive, if you are Amazon, and you have 40 million people watching a National Football League game on a weekend, you have the technology to do lots of things. Now, the league will prevent certain things about how you advertise and banners yeah. and whatnot, but the nature of the beast, it's different than TV, and it's different in a lot of ways. So the fact that any of those companies might be the home of the professional sports in America wouldn't surprise me in the least mm -hmm. bit. And then you say, what happens to the traditional networks? Well, they have the production expertise. So uh, David Hill, who was the sort of founder of Fox Sports here in America, I remember in one of my first seminars, production seminars in 1999 maybe, he said, in 10 years, all of the leagues will have their own television channels and we will simply be the production entities delivering the content for them with our expertise. Now, it hasn't quite gotten there, but yeah, all of the major all leagues have ML, their own... ML, bam. Yeah, and they all have their own mm. channels, they have their own Smart platforms, guy. their own mm. digital enterprises, and you know, we may end up moving that way. Television 
is a concept that's really easy for all of us to utilize, to describe that viewing experience, yeah. but it's a limiting term. And I think as we move forward in the world, we may still refer to it as television. Uh, you know, people still call the remote control the clicker. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me the clicker. Everybody knows what that is, but it's... It, Different functionality yeah. than it has. Well, it's not just thinking about smartwatches, and then you know, they're going to. Someone was telling me the other day that they're going to have a smartwatch that can. The battery life will last for two, three weeks. I'm talking a high-performing smartwatch that registers your heart rate, blood pressure, breathing, everything. The next six months. And so imagine, for example, NBA games going on last night. I think it was the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Celtics, right? Yeah. People at this event networking. People love to see highlights. Being pulled up on your device, you're talking to someone. Oh, there's been a, uh, no, a, a clutch shot in the one of the quarters or something like that. Click, you get to see it. You could, you can quick, right. quickly like, see it. You could. There's a number of things you can have the choice. I mean, it maybe it's become a product that you know because I subscribe to these games. You know, immediately after the game, I get an alert, watch the highlights, yeah. and I just hit well, my phone or my my smartwatch or whatever, and you get to see it. There's a hunger for content. That's true, and the question now more than ever is, how do you get it? You're starting to learn to how to value it. Mm -hmm. I mean, initially, the networks gave away, you know, internet rights, mm -hmm. like uh, to advertisers. You know, okay, well, you're going to pay five hundred thousand dollars for a thirty-second commercial unit in this football game, but you also have to buy some time on our sports site for yeah. our network. And they would go, well, how do you even figure the value? <laughs> yeah. And so it's interesting because you look at. Traditionally, those those models, those advertising models, would be based upon actual click-throughs or views on the page, and the rate paid was like point zero 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 four three eight six cents. So, but if you get twenty million views, adds up, right? You know, it adds yeah. up. So it's again, it, all of that's additive to the bottom line. So someone um, said. Uh, it was Andrew Ryan uh, at the IRC was saying uh, a good point. I credit him because I always think I never have a good idea myself. It's normally other people those ideas that I take. Peter's saying really interesting in the sense that um, I'd be interested in your view on this, which is that the NBA apparently are doing video uh, mobile first video capturing, so they're doing the on-player um, vertical viewpoint. So you can actually because people are obviously want to view the 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 screen at that horizontal angle uh, or vert sorry vertical angle. Um, do you think that's going to be a trend as well, where we're going to see that, 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 that there's going to be that sort of mobile first? They're actually going to, rather than go got traditional you know, um, formats for TV and then reduce it to mobile, there will actually be mobile first content. Or you I, simple, nothing will surprise me. Um, I had a, we had a presentation when I first started at Fox, a guy, a young kid that worked at Fox named Eric Shanks, who's now the president of Fox Sports. <laughs> right. And Shanks was way ahead of in the technology world at all times. And he had spent, uh, David Hill had sent him to England, to Sky, to look at some of the stuff mm. they were doing. And he came back saying, they've already got it worked out. So like, if you're a Sky subscriber and you want to watch a view of a football match, I'm speaking to your yeah. audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A football match, you can watch it from the goalkeeper's position. And you had a... You yeah, had, I remember, you yeah, had, yeah. You had selections. And we were sitting here going, like, the leagues will never let us do that <laughs> because under the rights agreements, you couldn't do anything wow. like that. Now, with virtual reality opportunities, mm. with multiple, you know, player viewpoints, it's just going to get more and more and more. So, you know, I might just be able to subscribe to... Major League Baseball, 
and I like a particular player on the team, and I'm just going to have a camera that's mm. dedicated to that player, and I can just watch that player for the whole game. Now, not for me, not for me today. Yeah, yeah, Who yeah, knows? yeah, yeah. But a lot of but people. Uh, boxing, boxing is my sport, and I recently I don't normally play for boxing anymore because I just. Uh, I think sometimes the quality of the fights have not been that good. But I, I, I went out of my way to pay for the Klitschko Joshua fight. It was a fantastic event, two gentlemen fight. I liked the whole thing around it. Um, but the production was really good. And I absolutely felt I got value for money for that. I was more than happy. I would have paid, I would have paid a lot more actually for it. And also, I think if there's certain fighters, I would actually, to back a fighter so they're in a better financial position, and say, right, I'll book out early. I would invest and maybe spend a couple of hundred pounds to pay for their next 10 fights. That's, that's me personally. I would do that for, because I'm, I'm time poor, probably like yourself. Therefore, I go, right, I don't want to watch everything, but I, want to, I know what I want to watch. And I'll, I'll quite have to pay a premium, particularly up front, to have and, access to But there is sports, sports for which that would work. Yeah. Boxing is a prime example. Yeah. I think to a certain extent, you might get it in more individual sports. Yeah. Tennis and golf, maybe. But in team sports, I don't think you'll ever be able to dig down and just, I want to watch this game. Yeah. Now, of course, the number of times in my career I've said I never see it happening, <laughs> and then you know it happens in a few years, but that may be it. Instead of, it's a similar model. As we become, I hate to say this, but social media is actually an antisocial behavior. I would agree with that. And so what happens is, is it broad point? Yeah. If you yeah. go out to you know, a sporting event and you sit in the stands and you pay your ticket and you buy your beers and have your whatever and you, you know, watch it. That's a very social experience. Mm. When you sit at home on your couch, it's, you know, a traditional way of viewing it because you can't always afford to pay for the ticket because that becomes a very expensive proposition. But might we get to a day where, you know, I feel like watching the baseball game today on your smart TV, you know, purchase 99 cents or whatever Mm. it is. You watch a game and it becomes an absolutely granular um, a la carte experience. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. But I think for events, like I've paid for, I think the only thing I've ever really paid for, of course, I live in America and to watch the Rugby World Cup, I have to spend obscene amounts <laughs> of money uh, to get it at home. Otherwise, I have to go to a bar and pay $20 to get in. And then it's 6.30 in the morning and I'm already in my second pint of Guinness and you know the rest of the day is shot. It's a good day, but but for that, with this content I really want, I'll pay for it. Absolutely, yeah. And that experience, at what point, you know, and it's, there's a business risk too, because if you change your model to say you pay for it individually, leagues are, you know, networks are paying billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars for rights. If you have it on and everybody can get it and you know what your subscriber base is with your cable companies or your satellites or whatever, you have, you can look and have a more functional crystal ball and figuring out what's going to happen with the money. But if you ever reduced it to strictly an a la carte thing, then that's when the only player in town are the leagues and they own yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, super interesting. I could carry on going into this. I was find fascinating. Um, to your perspective, like you've been around for so long, you've seen these these. Uh, trends happen and this, things like this, the Sky Sports uh, stories is uh, for Brings me. Brings back a memory. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, how did you first start getting into sports media rights? What was your What was your Well, it was interesting. Journey? I mean, everybody really wants. To, I mean, if you're a sportsman, as I was, you want to you want to work in sports. Absolutely. I'm, you know, it's I'm a lawyer, and 
there's a lot of things you can do as a lawyer. And as I like to say, it's like a company. My widget's just more interesting than your widget. And I always tried to get in, but they were they're difficult jobs to get. And I, my personal history was I'd try to get an entertainment or a studio job or anything. And I'd meet with people. I had friends who were highly placed, and they would schedule interviews for me. But they were successful because they never forced anybody that worked for them to hire someone. And that have these interviews and the feedback would be we really like the guy's really smart but we need somebody who can hit the ground running and he hasn't done it and then one day one of these business executives said oh he can do this and gave me some forms explained what we would negotiate and, and I pr did production counsel for a very early cable television series here in America and I was suddenly an entertainment lawyer and people you know I started doing production counsel work and then when they launched Fox Sports Net, the first cable Fox Sports Business in America in 1996, they hadn't hired any attorneys yet, so I got outside work to do oh, a right, bunch great. of contracts yeah. for them with their forms, thinking that might get me a job. It didn't. <laughs> and then two years later, a friend of mine who was working at Fox Sports said, there was an opening in the legal department. It's an entry-level position, but was I interested? And I was at a point in my career and in my life where I was ready to shut down my law practice and you know get into the studio. So I went there thinking I'd be doing mostly sports deals, you know, just a straight drafting job. You know, some business person would do the deal, send me a list, I'd plug it into the form, send it off to the other lawyer, so on and so, or the agent or whatever. And doing a little bit of entertainment work. Six weeks after I started, the one of the two people doing the business affairs work for the sports business left, and by then I guess I endeared myself to the management, and they said, you're taking over all the business affairs too. So serendipity smiled on me, and six wow. weeks after I started, I was handling the vast majority of the business and legal affairs for the national sports business, and that just progressed. And over time, I mean, when I got there, one of the first things is my boss at the time handed me an NFL rights agreement. And I look at this thing and I go, ooh, this is, this is a pretty big document. <laughs> and it was deep into, I think I got Redline 21 and reviewed it and eventually helped work through to get that. Three years later, two years later, we did the first global deal with NASCAR. And I was involved working primarily with my boss at the time but I was dealing with all the production elements. And wow, and was that scary for you? Did you, what, did you, what were you thinking? Like, because I know you, you obviously well, had some experience. But. Well, here's my advice that I always give to lawyers. We are trained to figure stuff out. We're problem yeah. solvers by training. Um, and so when somebody says, do this, the best answer is sure, because you can figure it out. But never ever say, well, I've never done that. You don't want to plant that seed <laughs> yeah, exactly. for a variety of reasons. Because yeah. so, people anchor to that. Once you've said that, they go, they're, they're, you've, created, you've created doubt in their mind that exactly. you're, and your ability. It's a really good point. But, really but good I remember, point. remember, so we get this, so I did a majority, a big part of the work, particularly the production elements on this first NASCAR deal. At the same time, we're concluding a Major League Baseball deal. And I, again, handled all the production and the IP, I worked with our in-house IP group, and although still working with my boss, who was sort of the lead or on getting this thing done, and I remember calling a friend of mine, a very, very dear friend who had been in the business a long time on the straight entertainment side, 
call him up and I said, and I said, Perry, I got it. I'm concerned. He goes, well, what about? And I says, I'm sitting here and I've got four billion dollars worth of rights deals on my desk, and I'm kind of responsible for this. And I'm thinking, do they realize that? They put Bobby and Hacker in charge of this much. And he says, you know, I've been doing this 20 years, and every day I ask myself the very same question. And I think that sort of humility, if you will, is really important because you need that, I think, in all respects when you're doing these kinds of deals to never be bigger than the deal or the business or anything because your job is to protect your client. And even though you're captive in-house, your client is the company. Mm. And you need to make sure that every I is dotted, every T is crossed, and really carefully well, thought through. In the sporting setting, it's the same thing, right? You need a certain amount of stress, healthy stress, that's there to keep you on your game, right? You see it with sports teams, rugby, whatever, when people yeah. get complacent. Maybe at the Celtics last night, right. uh, you know, against Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, they, they didn't perform particularly well. Like, you, it's good to have a certain level of stress and to have that awareness to keep you sharp and alert. Well, look, there's, there are those of us who are kind of adrenaline junkies. You know, we want that challenge. Mm. And for me, you know, lots of my analogies in life I draw from my, my sporting life. And I think about how hard I trained to play rugby. Mm. And I can still, because when you've done it so many times, whatever your sport is, there's something, uh, I'm not getting all Marquez on you and talking about magical realism or anything, but there is that moment where you've prepared and something happens when you cross that line onto the field of play. That thing that happens, that combination of adrenaline, of, you know, I've got 14 other guys that I can't, you know, we're one, I can't, you know, there's pressure there and I've got to be part of this team. It's the same thing when you're doing a business transaction. You're part of some team because you're working for somebody, with somebody, trying to get something done. And you want to make sure that you get across that finish line in one piece. And I think that's the most important thing that you have to do when you're doing deals is it's scary, but can't show fear. And you have to make sure and question. Never, ever fear asking a question. Because the question you don't ask is always the most important question. I, I totally agree with that. I think that's, uh, I said that even with our authors, you know, sometimes, like I said, students are the best position you're in is the fact you don't know, because you ask the questions, where a lot of people make assumptions and they don't ask the questions. The fact sometimes you can be an experience can be a real attribute. Because some people go, oh, we'll just assume that was fine, a particular clause in the contract, for example. They don't question it. Obviously, you like to think an experienced person would pick that up, but sometimes they don't. Well, um, I, I, really quickly, again, Returning again to the subject of the great David Hill, one of his prime edicts was never assume anything in a television broadcast. Every producer, every director, all the talent, everybody was aware of that. You cannot assume things when you're trying to tell a story to the audience. And sportscasters are storytellers. And ultimately, they can't assume anything. So you see somebody down on the field, don't assume what the injury is or what happened. Mm. You know, you report that fact because the negative impact from bad fact distribution does not vanish immediately. It's, it sticks to you in a way that you don't want it to be stuck to you. And the same is true for how you comport yourself in business deals. Mm. That is a great point. 
Um, I'm conscious of time. I could, honestly, I could talk for a couple of hours with you. Um, I think we could keep going. But uh, in your sort of illustrious career, what would you say was the highlight? So that's far. I know it's not over, but <laughs> so, so now, now you're retired. No, but um, joking aside, um, yeah, you've you've had a really interesting career. You know, it's quite fortuitous that, that things happened as they did. What was what do you what do you look back on with quite fondness and think? And oh, that was really even if it was a stressful period. What do you think that you think added a lot of value to either you personally or to your uh, professional practice? Oh, there's just so many things, and you know, most recently, I mean, being part of a of a team to negotiate giant billion dollar rights deals. And you know, I was talking about my early ones, but you know, I did a couple where I was the lead lawyer on an NFL rights agreement and on our second NASCAR deal. And you know, literally you're reviewing those documents with the other people line by line, word by word, and asking questions. But I think one of the, there's so many, and it's, it's really difficult to uh, pin it down, but I think in 2013, Fox launched Fox Sports 1, our first, and Fox Sports 2, national cable sports channels, uh, clearly, you know, to compete with ESPN, which would be a tough road to hoe because they'd been around for so long, and it was just automatic behavior to turn on ESPN. Yeah. It's like... Everyone's They're, conditioned into doing it. I got to make a Xerox, you know. You no, know, you're using a, some Japanese machine, but you're still saying I'm using a, I'm Xeroxing something. And I think the same is true. You know, we launched these networks, and I had primary responsibility for hiring everybody that worked there, the producers, the directors, the talent. And as a friend of mine said to me, he says, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get to be part of launching a network. And I said... God willing, it's only once in this man's lifetime <laughs> because it was pretty fast-tracked and there was a lot to get done. But that first day, August 13th, 2013, when we launched, I think that was the date, pretty sure that was the date, was interesting, sidebar, we had picked that particular date to launch the network because it was the first day of the EPL season yep. and Fox had had the EPL rights for years and years and years uh-huh. and in the in the path of launching this network Fox lost those rights to NBC so our date was based upon that first day of the EPL where you could run the whole day of all the games and we had to do a little tap dancing to figure out how we were going to launch the network without that content but again what a great experience and the day we launched those first shows and we were all in the studio and people were there and guests were there it was it was gratifying and it was when you see something done that you've worked to help build that was great and and overall you know Fox Sports was launched in America in 1994 I showed up in 1998 I had the great fortune to work with legends Uh, David Hill and Ed Gorin if there's a better producer and a better judge of talent in the history of sports, show, show me who it is. Ed was a great guy, and they were a great team. Mm-hmm. And seeing what they did and being part of what they were able to build and the on-air talent and seeing, you know, Joe Buck grow up and, and Kenny Albert and all these guys and Tom Brenneman and, and all these people and then all the analysts over the year and see a guy like Troy Aikman come, up, come along and 
see how great he's become in, in the National Football League and building out our golf property that we got a few years ago. Those kinds of things and being part of that, it's overall, like, I'm not going to pick one thing, but mm. I played on a lot of teams in my life, but being part of that Fox Sports team that I joined in 1998 and for that first run with David and Ed, there's nothing like it. And everybody that worked in that period says the same thing. And we all say, you know, if David and Ed said, go up that hill, we'd say yes, because they were at the front of the line leading the charge. And there's nothing better in life that when you're working for someone, that they're not standing at the back, waiting to take the credit, but pointing fingers. They led from the front, and they took they took the stones and the slings and the arrows of our, anyone's outrageous misfortune, <laughs> and they were there to take it. And when they're willing to take it, you were behind them saying, no, let me take it for you. And that was the beauty of my experience That's awesome. There. That's awesome. I'm uh, listening to a book on Audible at the moment called Extreme Ownership by Navy SEALs. Um, and they talk about this, it's brilliant, like about leadership and leading from the front. I mean, it's a fantastic book, but I listen to you say that and it resonates with a lot of the points they say as well. Um, thank you so much. I, do you know what I, was, I always say to people, when I do, I love what I do, I just generally like, probably like you do as well, right? Well, it's obvious that you do, from how you're saying. I love what I do. I also love hearing about people's experiences and journeys like that. I think it's such a... Um, a privilege because sometimes we don't get to hear some of these inside stories which I think are absolutely fascinating um, and also for, for lawyers and for those aspiring lawyers or those working it as well they go do you know what actually I'm not just that strange person who really enjoys this or um, you know, I'm not in isolation here there's other people who've gone through it um, so thank you so much for your time uh, I you. really appreciate it it was an absolute pleasure thanks Sean thank you so much Sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, for all your latest sports law updates and information, you can go to lawandsport.com or follow us on Twitter at Law and Sport. Go to our YouTube channel, follow us on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also go to our website to sign up for our weekly email. Thanks again for tuning in.